knowing God. <coughs> Some months we've been looking at different subjects in relation to salvation. And I said, as I said, I have expanded one message into every point a new message. <coughs> in fact, it was 2004 when Pastor from Southern Cross, Les Searle, asked me to preach on knowing God. Pastor McConnell's been up there this past last weekend, ministering at the family camp, and we put a booklet together, and that's where the this originated, the points of it, these sermons originated. <clears throat> and they have been greatly expanded, of course. He couldn't preach all this in one weekend, although I think they do give you about eight sermons to do. Seven altogether up there this past weekend. <clears throat> We've been looking at sanctification over the past few weeks. We've been looking at how we need to set our par ourselves apart, be separate from the world. We're God's children and he is a holy God. He wants us to be separate. There is another side to sanctification that needs to be dealt with and in so doing, you may say that I'm contradicting what I said in the last two sermons on sanctification. There must be a balance, for if there's not, we're equally as guilty, if not more so, of falling on the other side of the fence. As we'll see in the scripture this morning. <clears throat> on one side, we have those that abuse the grace of God by using it as a license to do as they please. I am my own. And don't reckon with those verses in the Bible in Corinthians that says, what, you are not your own, you're brought with a price. Glorify God in your body. On the other side <clears throat> of those, you know, it's the grace of God, those that emphasise that, you have those that abuse the law of God by using it to lock people up, bind heavy burdens that cannot be borne according to the scripture. All you have to do is read through the Gospels and you get the picture and the book of Galatians that Troy was in this morning. <laughs> they think that by doing this or that, they have a ticket to heaven. By doing this or that, they are pleasing God. And they don't. They have works righteousness, the works of the law, not imputed righteousness, which is by faith and a gift. And you certainly won't get to know God by this sanctimonious, sensual, spurious, pseudo type of sanctification or separation. The word probably separation is better used. So we're looking, we've looked at one side now, just one sermon, Lord willing, on this other side. And read the Gospels. And you'll have plenty and ample ammunition to say these people were wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and that it sets us a balance between the law and grace and how we should then walk in this wicked world. Lord, this is a subject that's close to your heart because your you want your people to be holy people separate people, sanctified people, ministering in a wicked world, set apart, but no, not so set apart that nobody can see. Lord, that we might have that strike the right balance in our Christian lives to be a testimony, to be a light, and to bring glory to your name through the lives that we live. And as has been prayed for those who haven't been able to come this morning, that they might be blessed to even be able to listen in this morning to the message. Uh, pray for those that are not well, that are sick. On, on the uh, bed of sickness, we pray that you'd raise them up and minister to their physical needs, that their spiritual needs also might be met. And bless the word as it goes forth today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 12. The longer you mull over a sermon, the longer it gets. 
and you have to shorten it somehow. And this is one of those that come to me at about three in the morning. A verse, a saying, <laughs> and I had to look the verse up. And it's in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 12, just to start the message off. Now, Paul has been dealing with Judaizers, legalists, he said. These legalists were getting to the point where they were saying, you've got to do the law to become a Christian. They were adding law to grace, and that just been done with. Grace was now what they were saved by. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God. And here, Paul is concluding some thoughts from the book of Galatians And we read in verse 12, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. And he's talking about these Judaizers. They constrain you to be circumcised back in with the law. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Trying to get off the hook of suffering for the Lord. (laughs) For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Look at our converts. And so I've called this central or sanctimonious sanctification. A fair show in the flesh. Look at me, I am spiritual. That's what Paul's saying. These people said, a fair show in the flesh come to my mind and this is the verse it's found in. Let's now go to the book of Jude which is the one chapter. And go straight to verse 19. We'll go back to some more verses in a moment. But this is talking about those who centrally separate themselves. And we read, these are they who separate themselves centrally having not the spirit. What does it mean to say they centrally separate? Well, it's the natural man. It's the physical man. It's not the spiritual man. It's the man in Adam that is talking about here. Centrally separating themselves. It's the natural or the animal. Animal wisdom, as it were. And it springs from the old corrupt nature and And Jude is dealing with this when he wanted to talk about the common salvation that was given to those who were saved. He had to talk about these people that were coming into the church in the early days, as we read in verse 4, who centrally separate themselves. And the first word that you have there in your filling in the sermon is apostates. These are apostates. They're not believing people. They're natural men. And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Lord. Back in verse 4 of Jude, there are certain men crept in unawares, snuck in, crept in. They've weaseled their way into the fellowship. And Jude is warning people that these will come in and they have and will yet come in. They, in verse 4, turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They consume it upon themselves. They want to get everything they can. They want to milk the church for what they can get out of it and make themselves look somebody. They hadn't changed much, especially if they were Jewish people and still held to their old traditions. Verse 12 of Jude tells us that these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you. They are spots in the fellowship. Clouds they are without water. We know about those in Australia, don't we? <laughs> Last year was more around than this year. This year we're up a bit more, 100 mil more than last year. But apostate clouds, that's what I call them when I see them come in a drought and go past. They, they promise everything, builds up dark, and then they blow away. <laughs> Silly apostate cloud. <laughs> And truly they are. Clouds without water. These people have not got the water of life. They have not got that what the Lord said. I am, I am the living water. And so <clears throat> these are apostates. Yet 
They look the bee's knees. <laughs> They've got the spiritual look on the outside. And this is what all the emphasis of the sermon is today. It's all outward. Nothing's going on inside. And then in verse 12, they are trees without fruit. So three things. Spots in your love feast, clouds without water, trees without fruit. And what does the Lord do to trees without fruit? <laughs> he curses them and they wither away overnight. Uh, he did that to the fig tree. And verse 13, raging waves of the sea. And the, the waves of the sea and that's hurling back and forward is a picture of lost Gentiles and Gentile nations. Raging waves of the sea. And that's these people. Verse 13 again, wandering stars. The world's getting the willies, I think, with wandering stars. If you call them asteroids, it's on and on the news over and over again trying to scare people. It doesn't, shouldn't scare the Christian. We know what the Lord has planned for the planet. He might allow a few to... Well, he, the book of Revelation talks about them, stars of heaven falling. But <clears throat> wandering stars are these people, and they can cause some terrible damage if they hit. Ungodly sinners in verse 15, though they think they are spiritual. Verse 16, murmurers and complainers. There they are, murmurers and complainers walking after their own lust. Now, all the time they look like they're the Christian. That's the problem. You see, we need, as Christians, our radars up to detect those sort of people that are pretenders, uh, in Australia, what would we call them? They're not. Thank you. <laughs> They're not fair dinkum. <laughs> You're thinking with me. They're not true blue. <laughs> They're not fair. They're just not the real deal, as what they profess to be. Speaking, verse 16, great swelling words. They have a mouth that speaketh great swelling words. Have you ever heard a theologian in one of these apostates waffle on? They have some great swelling words. And you say, whoa, better not debate him because he would be able to do me, tie me in knots. <laughs> but if you have the scriptures on your side and the spirit of God, I pray that you might be able to. And I, I clearly remember that happening. We're going down at um, <clears throat> at the weir there with the youth group many about 35 years ago. And there was one of these people I'm talking about <laughs> At the, he's a pastor of a church in town here, and he was painting a picture. And one of the young people went, oh, that's wonderful, you know, and started talking to him. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, what church? And then it started, and the young person was on the ball. <laughs> and and uh, the rest of the youth group kept going, and he just stayed with him and talked to him about this very thing. You know, why, do the, why does the church do, why does your church do this? Why does it do that? But the Bible says it's a, this is what we should do. And that was the Bible verses coming out of this young person's. He was about 18 at the time. Bible verses that he'd learnt off by heart. Quoting to the preacher that was one of these people. And the guy didn't have an answer. You know what they do when they get in that situation? They get angry. <laughs> and you know, who are you to tell me what to do? You're only so young. Is <laughs> the way it ended. Well, the young person was quite encouraged, actually. <laughs> But great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. The advantage they have is that they've been given abilities by God, I don't say talents, but abilities, natural abilities they've got to be able to have persons' admiration. Surely he must be a spiritual man. You see where we're driving to? This is central sanctification, sanctimonious, pseudo-sanctification. And they centrally separate themselves, as we read to start with in verse 19. And they, these are they who separate themselves centrally, having not the Spirit of God. Turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> you say, surely people couldn't be so self-deceived. Well, the Bible says they will be. And they can be, and we can be. <laughs> be careful. You, you can't be an apostate if you're a Christian. Because to be an apostate, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you can't get unsaved, in other words. 
and it talks about last days and the types of people that will be around and their behaviour. But notice in verse 5, when you read the first four verses, you'd say, well, they're just not Christian. But notice verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it from such turn away. They have the outward trappings of the godly or the Christian that's accepted in society, but they have not the spirit of God within them. They have a form of godliness. How can these people be so deceived? How could they be so convinced themselves to be so wrong? <laughs> because they're using their human reasonings, their natural instincts to draw their spiritual, in Ditto's, conclusions, and they are completely self-deceived. Our Lord did battle with these very people for three whole years. That's... Every, every time he ministered, every day he ministered, he was faced with these same religious people, all dressed up in their garb, and they were always trying to put him down. And increasingly so, they got hostile to the point they crucified him. Religious people. Centrally sanctified or separated. The Prince of Peace was crucified by these. This battle reached its height in Matthew chapter 23. Let's turn there. As the Lord is concluding, he's giving, giving a concluding remark on these sort of people. <clears throat> in Matthew 23. And we'll do what we did in Jude. Just pick out a few verses to point out the attitude of these people. Well, their appearances. That's the second word there that you've got. <laughs> the appearance of these centrally separated people. <clears throat> Verse 5 of Matthew 23 to start with. But all their works they do to be seen of men. <laughs> they make broad the prolacatories and enlarge the borders of their garments. So what do they do their works for? Why are they doing this? Because they get the applause of men. They get men's attention. They, their works, they did be seen of men. Hey, folks, you can pick them. As you go down through this list, as one word could sum them up. See if you get it by the end. In verse 5, the clothes they wear are to draw attention to themselves. Look how separate and sanctified I am. Their clothes are saying. They wear, <laughs> one thing that they wear is uh, a dog collar. <laughs> Thank you. A dog collar. <laughs> to make themselves distinguished from just you guys, you know. <laughs> well, why do they call it a dog collar? It was right around their neck. I think it only goes the front bit, actually. I've never bought one, Brother McConnell. You haven't worn one? Good. <laughs> just checking <laughs> But uh, they do this to be seen. In verse 6 of 23, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts. What did Jesus say when you went to a feast? Where are you to sit yourself at the top of the table? No, at the bottom of the table. And the guest, the, the host might move you forward, up, up, up the table a bit. But these people love the chief seats, the prominent seat. In fact, most times it's called Moses' seat. If you went in a synagogue, go in a synagogue over there, a wrecked synagogue, they'll still have Moses' seat just inside the door, just inside on the right-hand side, actually, the one there uh, on top of Sea of Galilee. Chorazin, yeah. And <clears throat> there was Moses' seat, and they loved to sit in Moses' seat doing a teaching to get disciples after themselves, get a gathering. <laughs> they love the chief seats, the prominent ones. They love to be recognised and bowed down to in verse 7 and 8 the greetings and greetings in the markets and to be called by men rabbi rabbi but be not called rabbi for one is your master even christ and ye are all brethren what's another term that we could use in baptist circles today baptist we get to baptist now <laughs> love to be called come on no, that's a, that's a biblical name. Yeah, yeah, okay, I've got it over here somewhere. Reverend, reverend. Reverend, reverend. We reverence you. Well, whoa. There is one person 
that we should reverence. And that is God, not people, not reverent reverence. Uh, replace a rabbi because that's Jewish with reverent. That's going to, I don't think any reverence will be listening in. <laughs> Hopefully they're preaching the word <laughs> today, but it might tre tread on a few toes. It used to be, you know, if you had reverend on your license, and this is, this is how it was in our society, it's not anymore, but when you went to get your license and you said you're a pastor, the person who's not a Christian behind the desk would put reverend on it. They just naturally did that. And, and so when you get up, pulled up by the police, oh, reverend, okay. <laughs> you get off the hook. <laughs> and it wasn't really right to do that. But that, that could be used, or I'm on a way to a wedding or a funeral, I need to get there, can you give me an escort? <laughs> to the police, I mean. No, no privileges. Hey, we are just human beings, given a task to pastor. That, that word is shepherd, to shepherd people, to shepherd the flock, to feed the flock of God which is among you, as it tells us in Timothy and Titus. Notice in verse 13 of Matthew 23, these are the sort of people that are centrally separated. The old, the English saying is keeping up appearances. <laughs> and this is what these people did. Kept, kept up appearances, make looked like they were the real deal. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, in verse 13, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, they're not Christians, neither suffer them that are entering in, that have got an interest in spiritual matters to come in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So they shut heaven up. They close heaven to seeking people. How many churches in, in the world today will meet on this Sunday and they're shutting up heaven to people because they're not giving them the gospel of the grace of God that's given to us in the scripture. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. They'll say, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. They go back to the works type of salvation. Works righteousness, which will never get us to heaven. All our righteousnesses are as filthy works. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ye devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They pray long, pretentious prayers. I'll just mention these others. Verse 15, they damn souls to hell who they proselyte, making them twofold more the child of hell. In verse 16 to 22, they are blind fools, blind leading the blind, and both will fall into the ditch. Verse 23, we'll read this one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, which is judgment, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done and not left the other done, undone. The ones you kept, yes, do those, but these, the main points of Christianity and belief should be practiced. Mercy, faith and justice and judgment. These ought to be what you've done. You've admitted the weightier matters and you're worrying about the little things, the small matters. In verse 24, they swallow a camel and choke on a gnat or a thing the size of a mosquito. So <clears throat> they swallow a camel and choke on a mos mosquito. They're willing to let big things go through. Hey, has that thing gone through our parliament yet? Abortion hadn't been there yet, okay. They'll, they'll let these things go through, but they'll choke on matters of what they dress like and turn up on Sunday and minor matters. God's got to bring these people to an account one day and he will justice will be brought forth how would you like to be in one of these person's shoes that have done the religious thing all their life and then stand before God and for him, for him to say depart from me ye workers of iniquity I never knew you and they'll say Lord Lord we have done this and we've done that and we've cast out demons and the Lord doesn't deny what they've done in their good works but they did their good works to get to heaven and that's not on with God we accept his way 
and his sacrifice to pay for our sins. In verse 25, they look exquisite outwardly, but are inwardly full of extortion and excess. In verse 27 and 28, <clears throat> they are white as sepulchres. They appear beautifully outward, beautiful outwardly, but are full of dead men's bones and rottenness, hypocrisy and iniquity. Whited sepulchres. Where, where do he go to see a sepulchre? To the graveyard. What's God saying to these people there? This is the conclusion of the Lord Jesus Christ upon these people. He said, go to the graveyard and think of yourself. There you are like a whited sepulchre, whitewashed. But in are full of dead men's bones and rottenness. And the longer they continue in there, but for the grace of God they could get saved, the longer they continue in, the more self-deceived they become. And the more they'll try to argue with God, Lord, Lord, Wait a minute, you can't judge me like that. He will judge them like that because he is, to the Lord Jesus has been given all judgment. He is the judge of all. Verse 33. And any wonder they got angry with the Lord Jesus. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, that's the conclusion of the Lord. And if you had time, you could consider Matthew 6 verses 1 to 8 as well. So, in concluding about these, these people, and this is not the end of the sermon, but concluding about what we've spoken of in 23 here, outward displays of sanctification and separation do not make you spiritual. You may be the devil in disguise. You may be a wolf in sheep's clothing. You may be an angel of light, as the devil himself spoken of in Second Corinthians. And there are many people, there are whole communities that live like this. The Amish people. I heard a documentary of Amish people as an unsafe commentator asking them questions. And they said, how do you elect your spiritual leaders? And they said, well, at the time that one needs to be elected, there's a vote of three. Three people are, are given the opportunity and there's things put in a Bible. And when they open it, if it's, it's in their Bible, they get the job. And one fellow said, I got the job. I never read my Bible. I don't know anything about it. I think it's wrong that I should be a spiritual leader. <laughs> I think it's wrong, very wrong <laughs> too. But they, they look, you know, they look conservative. They look right. But it's what's happening inside that matters. It's not the pretentious prayers that we pray in public. It's the prayers that we pray in the closet that matter. It's not the nitpicking criticism of the law and dragging it up and trying to point a person how wrong they are. It's taking the beam out of your own eye that matters. It's not the tradition that matters. It's the weightier matters of the law. We've already seen that, faith and justice. It's not the dress that's all show, but it's the doctrine that we adorn through godly living. It's not the attire, but it's the attitude. It's not the head, but it's the heart. I wonder how many of us would have associated <coughs> with good old John the Baptist. <coughs> what did he look like? If he walked in here today, what would we do with him? <laughs> what would he do with us? <laughs> We'd probably say, you smell like a kangaroo. He'd probably have a kangaroo on him here because he's dressed in camel's hair. He ate locust and wild honey. He wouldn't be the part of a religious person. We'd get all panicky. We'd, be what, we'd do what James said. If a, if a poor man comes in vile arraignment, you sit at the back. Sorry. <laughs> but if you're rich and well-to-do, you can come and sit at the front. <laughs> plenty of room up here you know that's what James said people do they judge by the outward appearance and it's not for us to do that is it <laughs> we should the Lord looks on what as he judges our heart <clears throat> a whole page just a few of these first Samuel sixteen seven reads but the Lord said to Samuel look not on his countenance or on the height of his statue because I have refused him for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh 
on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart of the matter. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 13, the Lord tells the Jews, Rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Rend your heart and not your garments. It's not about the outward, it's about the inward. And another one in Matthew chapter 15 where we're at, or in that book, in 18 to 20. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile a man. So <clears throat> how's your heart? Are you keeping up appearances to look like a Christian? And I, I use the example again of being in Lascelles. This is on as a young fellow at that time. Lascelles is on is in Western Victoria Way near the South Australia border at, at Grandma's house, Grandma Emerson's house. And she's a little lady, and she's married big like Uncle Ray. That's the son. <laughs> and <clears throat> we call her little grandma. And her house was opposite, I think it was the Church of England. And we were all peeking out the windows, our six kids, and people coming to church. And they got out of their car, and what did they, what did they first do? You know, looked in the mirror. <laughs> Made sure they were all looking right. <laughs> and they, they all went in to church. No Bibles, nothing. So my sister being a bit of a stirrer, <laughs> I was talking to someone about her yesterday. She's the older sister. And she, 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 she was talking to Andrew for about two hours, Andrew Lewis, before she realised it was Andrew Lewis. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were going at it. You can say that <laughs> over the kitchen table. Over tea, actually. Oh, you're Andrew from Israel, are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she got in. She... She got dressed up and put a Bible in her heart and went over to the church at Lascelles and went in with a Bible. And the preacher said a verse, so she you know, shuffled through it, making plenty of noise to look up the verse. He looked another verse, and she'd look at it, and nobody was, and they were all looking at her, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing opening a Bible in church? <laughs> they were all there about show. Good country people, good <laughs> in the sense of worldly, country people. But they weren't saved. And this is churches everywhere. Why are all the churches closed down? I know we've got transport and all the technology today. But those churches used to have people in them. Those churches were dedicated to the glory of God. Most of them will have a plaque somewhere. But now they're empty. Why? Because they stopped preaching the word. Yes. What? <laughs> if it works, we do it. Pragmatic approach. What about us? Would we associate with John the Baptist? Would we associate with Peter? He was still pretty raw after three years of ministry. You can refer to John 21.7, won't turn there. But after three years of being with the Lord, he said, I go fishing. And they all went with him, the other disciples. Then the Lord had turned up on the shore cooking the fish. And how was Peter dressed? Nothing on. You say, Peter, uh, surely the Lord would have got on his case. <laughs> you don't get around like that. Well, that's the way fishermen do it. And <clears throat> you see, he became the leader of the apostles. Would we have accepted him as a leader in his rawness? <laughs> oh, yeah, he got sanctified after a time. And he followed the Lord. We're speaking about central carnal sanctification or separation. I'd rather use the word separation. A modest Christian lady's adornment will be balanced. And it will be more inward than outward, said Peter in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6. And I pray that that's the case with yourselves. Men, all women, that our adornment adorns the doctrine and the truth of the word of God. Let's go to the third point there. 
And this is found in John's Gospel, chapter 17. And this is where these messages on sanctification have been about, centred about, this is the Lord's prayer, high priestly prayer, we could say, for his beloved, for his people. He prayed to his Father for those who would be saved through his sacrifice, that they would be kept. In verse 11 of chapter 17, and now... I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. The Lord's Prayer was that we be kept in the world from the world. In verse 12, again, I kept them in thy name, those who thou gavest me. I have kept you know what he's doing with us? He's keeping us. He's keeping us from the world. He's keeping us sanctified. But he doesn't want us to become sanctimonious, sanctimoniously separated. In verse 15, we read, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. What's the word? Keep, keep, keep. Verse 17 and verse 19, the, the word sanctify is used. In verse 14, it tells us that the world shall hate them. Why does the world hate those that are spiritual-minded believers living the Christian sanctified life? Because it points out how sinful they are. That's why it hates them. Because of the rebuke the Christian is to their sinful deeds. Even the families get upset with them when somebody gets saved within a family. Matthew 10.35 tells us. Can the world hate you if it doesn't know about you when you're living in a place or a sort of a life that's a cloistered life? You're not a rebuke to them. You're not there. How can they hate you if you're not there? You're not showing or rebuking them by your behaviour and your lifestyle as a Christian. We get so removed and isolated that there is no contact whatever. There is a balance to be had. And as I said, this is the, the other side of sanctification. This is a lifestyle, not a spiritual status standard. Think of the Essenes. They lived like this. I'm glad for them and what they did do. They, was it the um, Dead Sea Scrolls? Because of the Essenes, we have those. They, they separated themselves from everyone in Jerusalem, went down to the Dead Sea and lived in caves because we're isolating ourselves from everybody and anything because it's so bad out there. They thought it was bad out there then. <laughs> Join us today, Essenes. The Catholic monks live like this. They isolate themselves. The nuns, although they mix them all, but they do isolate themselves. The Pharisees isolated themselves. The Orthodox Jews isolate themselves. Now, they do parade around in public, but they have their... They have where they live. You can't get in there. That's, that's their territory. Andrew gets in there. It's a, as you might say, it's a drive through. And the boys are out the window with the books and get out the other side safely. It didn't see him coming, and it's usually at night time. I shouldn't tell them secrets, should I, on the, on the internet? <laughs> He, he later on he will unless he's up very early this morning <laughs> God's not impressed with the outward look but the inward personal piety not proud pharisaism this passage in John 17 addresses the issue of isolation by lifestyle versus insulation by truth and isolationism does not produce strong saints it does not impress God who said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. <laughs> it does not penetrate the world with the light of the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world. This produces pride. That's the one I didn't ask before. What is it these people look like in Matthew 23? Proud people. Arrogance and toffee-nosed people. It produces superiority complex. It produces inbred doctrine because they only associate within that circle 
and don't hear others. And you get a tree with all the leaves and limbs on it. If you if you're up in the tree, don't, don't get the kids up in the tree. But if you're up in the tree and hit with a bulldozer, it takes the push okay. It doesn't get. If you take the limbs off and sit up in the tree and hang on tight, you hit it with a bulldozer, you just go, get shot off the limb because there's nothing to balance it out. And as Christians, we need the limbs. We need the people in the church. We need to, as it says in Proverbs, iron sharpeneth iron. So the countenance of a friend sharpens a friend. And if you isolate yourself, that does not happen. And doctrine goes away, goes astray. I don't care attitude this brings into the life. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. I'll isolate myself. I disconnect with society and the world. A non-reality, this is what it produces. It can produce cultic groups, exclusive, exclusive this and the other. What should we then do? What we need to do as saints, they're listed there, I think, for you on the bulletin, become immune through the inoculation of the word. If you want to get an inoculation, get an inoculation from the Bible, the word of God, and become immune against the world's prevailing and perverted influences as we have the word. 14 of John 17, I give them thy I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am. Take the word in. Absorb the word. Believe the word. A person who has not been exposed is weak and susceptible to all manner of diseases. And that's been found in when Western people came into tribal people, and if they had measles or mumps or chicken pox, or, what happened to the tribe? decimated them just decimated them because they weren't immune to the things and folks if if you isolate you go out and hit the world and you're not got immunity you're in trouble you need to to have that word of God dwelling in your hearts (laughs) I remember at state school more at high school or technical school it was when you when they really started getting on your case, unsaved people, because you're a Christian. Stand your ground. Know the truth. Know the word. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. <clears throat> it's been well and continually said, a faith that hasn't been trusted cannot be... Sorry, a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. How can we be a light to the world if we're in a bushel? How can we salt if we're in the salt shaker? How can a church or a Christian have a preserving, sanctifying influence on the world if we're not meeting people in the world? You know, the greatest times that I've had, you know, it, it's great to be able to preach the word and minister the word, but I like one-on-one. And the best and greatest times of testimony have been when I've been out in the bush and one fella is there and me. He got him. <laughs> and I don't think it that way, but he's <laughs> <it is> isolated. <laughs> but you're with that person. And they start asking questions. And they'll sit and talk for hours. And they want to know answers. They just don't want to do it in front of their wife or <laughs> somebody else. I'm talking to that religious bloke. <laughs> and they want to know. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to share the word of God in a bush setting. Uh, I remember once I was in a theotolite. We didn't have lasers in those days. And I was in the middle with my head down. I was out in the bush. And then this fella crept up. He didn't mean to. <laughs> and he said something. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I flipped the theotolite over or whatever, but it gave me such a fright. Doc, his name, Dr. Jones. <laughs> He's a doctor. Still practicing, I believe. But um, I remember sharing with him. I said, you know, it's wonderful what you're trying to do here for yourself. It was about 20 acres, bush block, dams, we're putting in roads. And I said, but what about eternity? And so we got to talk about it for about an hour to the doctor. (laughs) What a privilege. You know, if you're isolated and aren't contacting 
there is, yeah, yeah, you say well, there's no contact, there's no contamination. If there's no contact, there's no sharing either of the Word of God. Be insulated and not isolated. We need to be insulated but not isolated. We need to be inoculated by the Word of God but not incarcerated in our own prison. We need to be <coughs> indoctrinated with truth but not insensible and hard to sinners. We need to be immunized with Scripture and the Spirit and not impeded in fear of bondage and what, what might happen if we go out there. The tree that stands the strongest is the tree that stands where? Alone, alone. If you're, if, you, if you're driving a bulldozer and you want to push a tree over, don't pick on the one out in the, on his own. Because <laughs> with my little bulldozer, it takes about an hour to dig around it. Sometimes you're digging as deep as this to get almost under it to make it fall. But if, you, if you're on the edge of the bush and you're coming into the forest, the bush, forest, <laughs> bush, and you try to push this way, they won't fall over. Go in the bush and go back out the other way and push them that way. You know why? Because they've had no resistance. They've had no wind from the inside. The forest has kept them and there's no roots on that side. They're all out in the paddock where the wind's blowing against them. And so for a Christian, get into the word of God. Stand alone. Stand against temptation. Stand immune by the word of God and you'll stand strong for the Lord even alone exposed yes but you're not a pushover <laughs> we need to be sanctified and not stuck up like the disciples when they found the Lord talking to the Samaritan woman they said what are you doing <laughs> what are you contaminating yourself with that woman don't you know who she is at other times when the Lord got into the house and we went home to the tax collector's place, two times he went, the publican. And the, 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 the publican who invited him home and the woman Mary came in and anointed and did what she did with the Lord. And the Pharisee in his heart was saying, that the publican saying, if, if he knew, if he was God, he would know she's a very wicked woman. She wouldn't, he wouldn't have her touch her. <laughs> You see, the Lord was sanctified, but he was still able to minister to the person. Be insulated, but not isolated, is the, the thought here. Be separated, but not sanctimonious, like Peter. <laughs> Lord, I've never eaten that sort of food. Don't expect me to eat it now. And the Lord told him again, rise and eat, Peter, in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we need to be spiritual but not Sadducical. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 7, 36, you can read about that. <clears throat> we need to be scriptural and not sarcastic. And it's easy to become scripturally minded, separated and sanctified, but then criticize all the people out there where you once were <laughs> before you were saved. We need to be submitted, but not a pushover. We need to be meek, but not mastered by the world. We need to be mastered by the Lord and not manipulated by the world and pushed into its mould. We need to be bold, but not brash. We need to be brave, but not belittering. Broken, but not beaten. Yes, tested and trusted, inoculated and immune to the things of this world. <clears throat> Are we like the Pharisees of the Lord's day? Does he pronounce upon us Matthew 23 and the woes there if God had intended us to live isolated lives he would have taken us out of this world when we got saved John chapter 17 verse 15 I pray not that thou should take them out of the world should keep them from the evil in the world outward separation is pharisaical it's law righteousness inward separation is spiritual and it's Christian. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason if you are among them in the world with meekness and truth. And the same people that separate themselves by the outward or by a list of do's and don'ts are the people who will hold hands often with liberal 
new evangelical people. That was in the Lord's day that those in Galatia and others, even that's talked of in Colossians, they would hold hands with the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes and Herodians to oppose a common enemy, the Lord Jesus. But they didn't agree on doctrine, but they'll agree to fight against the truth. They'll agree to fight against the Lord. As Paul said to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It is by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law that you're saved. It's by the hearing of faith. So let's go out and be in the world but not of the world. Memorize verse 14 of John 17. I have given them thy word and the world hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. In verse 15, to pray that thou should not take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil in the world. Do you come to church to appear good to people or to come to worship the Lord? Why is it you're here? Why do you do the things you do? To be right before God inwardly or to be right outwardly before men? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it plainly states that we need to be careful of being sanctimonious in our separation and sanctification. Lord, we're just saved sinners by the grace of God. But for the grace of God, there go I. And Lord, if there's someone here today that is doing a dress-up job and they look like they're the Christian but they're not. Save their soul, convict them of their sin, turn them by your grace and mercy to yourself. Bless us now as we sing a closing hymn in Jesus' name. Amen.